0: Grab your Bible, if you have an electronic device, open that up, Genesis 25, just turn off your phone part so it doesn't go off during tonight, that'd be appreciated. And let's go ahead and get our hearts ready for the Word of God, would you pray with me? Father, we are glad to be together tonight, glad to be in this place that you have blessed us with so much, Lord. Uh, the place that we are in our lives tonight, only you know where we are spiritually, where we are emotionally where we are in in terms of the journey of faith but you know God you have us here for a reason tonight and you have us here to hear your voice so we want to set aside all distractions everything that we've drug in here anything that might be weighing us down right now would you remove that you know you tell us to cast all of our burdens upon you because you care for us So we're going to do that right now. We're going to do that by faith and just trust that you're going to take them and you're going to exchange them for blessings, burdens for blessings, Lord. And so thank you that you are the God that does want to bless us and that you're for your people, you're not against us. And so tonight, as we've come into your house, may this place be a place of refuge, may it be a place of encouragement and exhortation, may it be a place where you are glorified and where we meet you here in fresh and new and deeper ways. We lay this time at your feet, and we pray you'd bless it. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Genesis 25. We're at the halfway point of the book of Genesis. Can you believe it? There's 50 chapters in Genesis, so we're at the halfway point. And the halfway point marks the point of the death of the guy that we've been watching through the book for the first, uh, most of the first portion of the book, and his name is Abraham. His original name was Abram. He was called out of a pagan nation, out of a place called Ur of the Chaldeans, and he obeyed God. He didn't know where he was going, but God told him, I want you to go to a land that I will show you, and Abraham obeyed, and he went. And God directed his steps, and Abraham's life is a prototype. It's a type of the, uh, the trek of faith that we all go through. We start somewhere. Most of us, you know, some of you grew up in a Christian home, but not all of you. I, I grew up in a Roman Catholic home, um, but uh, I've told you many times my home was filled with dysfunction. My father left our family at a very early age, and so there was a lot of moving around and a lot of trying to figure out and get anchored, and my grandparents actually became a big part of anchoring our family and giving some stability to it. And so as a a young man, I would just say this to you. I knew about God. I'm not sure that I knew God. I knew uh, things about him. I learned the fear of the Lord very early from an Italian grandfather. (laughs) I say, you do what I say, or I smack at your head, that kind of thing. Uh, We used to play at the park when we were kids, and my grandfather would tell us that um, we had to come upon hearing his whistle. So uh, we would be playing at this slide, and it was, seemed like as kids it was a mile away. And we would hear, <whistles> and, and it sounded like Grandpa's whistle, so we'd come running. <laughs> Grandpa, did you whistle? What, I know call you. <laughs> so we went through that as children, but anyway. But I bring that up to tell you that sometimes you don't realize that God is taking things that go on in your life, and he's framing your life uh, for a purpose. In fact, Ephesians two ten says that God has good works that He's prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. And I don't believe that God causes everything, but I do believe that God can orchestrate or He can exploit even bad things for His good purposes because He has a plan for your life. And as we saw with the uh, young woman's conference, um, He He wants you to know that you're His masterpiece. And many of us don't feel like that. Sometimes we feel like more like a mess than a masterpiece. Can I get a witness? Especially first thing in the morning, we have dry drool and all that. And anyway, God, God, is that really how you see me? And so Abraham started a journey. In fact, he started the journey late in life. When he left Ur of the Chaldees, he was 75 years old. Now we're going to find out tonight that he lived to be 175 So if his journey of faith started at 75, he had 100 years or a century of faith. Now, if you all would, look in Genesis 25. This is one of the main verses for tonight. And I'd like to read the verse from the NIV. It says, Genesis 25, verse 8, it says, Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. So chapter 25, halfway point of the book of Genesis, marks the death of Abraham. And the Bible says that he died at a good old age. This was something that God had promised, that he would live a long life, and he was full of years. Or another way to put this is that his years were full. Many uh, who have commented on Scripture and Bible scholars have said, it's not necessarily the number of years that you live, uh, the fullness of those years, if you will, it's how full they are. Are they full of life? You know, you have something very precious tonight. You have life. Dr. Walter Martin said that, you know, you could have been made something else. You could have been a fruit fly. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. (laughs) But it is a privilege to be human. Of all the species that we could have been, we are humans. The only creature that I know of made in the image of God. You're a human being. Your life is precious, but we live in a world that sometimes devalues your life. It sometimes tells you that you have to measure your life by, you know, certain things, and you gotta fit into this certain criteria. And if you don't do this or look this way or have this many followers on whatever the digital uh, thing is these days, Twitter or whatever, or if you don't do this or you don't fit this mold, then you must not be a masterpiece. And that's a lie. It's a lie. God has a plan for your life. And God wants to use you. And sometimes when you hear that, some of you say, there's no way. God wants to use somebody like me. Yes, he does. You are valuable to him. And he had a plan for Abraham and he has a plan for you. And we learn in Joshua 24 that Abraham came from a family of pagans a family that was not devoted to the God of the Bible, a family that was not devoted to the God of Israel, and God called him out of paganism, and if you're wondering what that means, paganism is just something, uh, religions that don't follow the true God or follow the God of the Bible, and that's where Abraham started, and everybody, please hear me tonight, has to start somewhere. You gotta make a decision. You have to decide if you want to be on God's path or the world's path. You gotta start somewhere. And it's the first step of faith that Abraham was willing to take that God blessed his life. And he came to the end of his life as a father of many nations, we'll find out in this chapter tonight, and he was blessed. You know, sometimes when we look at growing older, we think, oh, you know, have, have you heard this? And for those who are a little older and have sparklers in their hair tonight, that's my reference to gray hair, by the way. Um, if you got more sparklers than you do regular color, if you paint them once a month, we won't go there tonight. You know, sometimes we think, oh, uh, growing Oh, you got to be tough to grow. <laughs> we got our sayings. You got to be tough to grow old. You don't know nothing about pain, whippersnapper. <laughs> but I think there's a way to grow old with God's grace and to live a full life or a life that's full. You know, Jesus in John 10.10 said, I've come that they might have what? Life and have it more abundantly or to the full. Did you know that Jesus said that that was the purpose of his coming? Now, we could take about three or four purpose scriptures tonight, and we could talk about them, but one of the purpose scriptures of Jesus' coming was he came that you might have life. And have it to the full. And you might say, well, you just said earlier, I'm alive. Oh, you're, you're alive if your heart's beating. But the Bible's definition of life is different. To be alive in God is to be full of the life of God. And we lost that at the fall, which is where we started way back in Genesis uh, chapter 3. And we get it back through the second Adam. His name is Jesus Christ. And so Abraham becomes this picture of a man who lives a life of faith, but he did not live a perfect life. Uh, He did not live a life that was doubt-free. And some of us sometimes think if we have doubts, we must be a disappointment to God. You know, I don't see any Bible characters having doubts. I was listening to Gary Habermas earlier today, and he said he was talking to a pastor, and the pastor was asked, do you ever preach on doubt? And the pastor's response, this is famous, this is how pastors respond. Oh, doubt doesn't preach, brother. That's another way, that's pastors speak to say, you don't want to to do a sermon on doubt because that that doesn't build people up. That doesn't encourage people. That's false. Sometimes when you hear that other people had doubts and made mistakes, that can be really encouraging, amen? And Abraham had his doubts. He was told he was going to have a child when he was old, and Abraham laughed. Now, sometimes we downplay Abraham's laugh next to Sarah's laugh. She laughed. She lied about it. God said, you did laugh. She said, no, I didn't. God said, you did. End of argument. (laughs) How do you argue with God? You know, you can't do that. But Abraham laughed about it. And and then he said, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And remember, Ishmael was that big hiccup. And it was Sarah who told him, go ahead and sleep with my maidservant because, you know, we got to get with the program here. And Abraham did it. Some scholars believe he did it reluctantly, but he did. And Ishmael came along, and and Abraham had trouble believing God. He doubted. And then two times as we followed his journey, as he was in some crisis points in his life, he lied about his relationship with his wife. And he said, she's my what? My sister. She was his half-sister, so it was only a half-lie, and half-lies are not as serious as full-lies. Right? (laughs) Wrong? <laughs> so, this is the man that we're watching, and I just want you to see that Abraham's a man that gives us hope. He was not perfect, he made his mistakes. But at the end of the day, his life was called full, not empty. How many people do you think check out of this planet empty? Ever thought about that? You know, statistically, um, they tell us, it may not be this many, but it's close to this. Two people die about every second in our world. How many people do you think are checking out and it would be said of them, boy, he or she lived a full life. May I submit to you tonight that if you want to measure things, if you really want to see if you're on track tonight, maybe you should ask yourself if I'm headed towards that kind of uh description of my life this particular chapter is about the life of Abraham but it's also about the death I'm recapping his life but it is about his death because his death is recorded in verse eight he breathed his last and he died every earthly story does come to an end life is temporal uh, but spiritual life is not your physical life is temporary but your spiritual life goes on forever in one of two places And so we'll talk about that as well. Abraham breathed his last, but when you breathe your last on this side of eternity, if I can put it that way, it doesn't mean that your life is over. And Abraham's life was not over, but his earthly life was. And so he died, and he was gathered with his people, 175 years of life. The Bible answers the question, if you're wondering tonight, and I'm sure most of you know this, but the Bible answers the question about why we die. We die because of sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. In Ezekiel 18, we are told the soul that sins shall surely die. Adam was warned in the day you eat thereof, you eat of that tree, you will what? Surely die. He didn't die on the spot when he ate the forbidden fruit, but he did die spiritually. And that's what God was talking about. He was talking about spiritual death, which is which One consequence of the fall is physical death. And so we die because of sin. Romans 6.23 tells us that. You can look at Genesis 2.17, which I just mentioned. And Ezekiel 18.4 says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. And the soul that sins shall surely die. This is why we die. We're in a fallen world. We're in a fallen body and we age and we die but the hope that we have as believers is that we're going to go to be with the Lord in fact uh, when the apostle Paul talks about death he describes death not as a cessation of existence but as a departure so here's a a new way to think about death if you haven't done this before death is actually a departure Uh, Philippians 1 23 Paul says to depart and be with Christ is what far better death is a departure the question is do you know where you're going you ever been in an airport and watched uh departures and arrivals right and you kind of see if your flight is leaving on time well people are departing i gave you the statistics at pretty alarming rates they're leaving this place and paul says i'm going to depart and be with christ for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But I don't know if you can say that. I hope you can. For the Christian, death is a gain. No, no Christian has a martyr's complex. No Christian wants to check out early. Pastor stood up before a congregation and said, it was a young and old, everybody was there at the service. How many of you want to go to heaven? Raise up your hand. And all the people raised up their hand except one little boy in the back row. He saw the pastor in the hallway later and the pastor said, hey, why didn't you raise up your hand when I said, do you want to go to heaven? He said, I thought, pastor, that you meant now. <laughs> I want to go to heaven just not now. <laughs> yeah. And so his journey of faith is chronicled in Hebrews 11. And we've looked at it before, but the Bible says that God has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is 2 Timothy 1.10. God has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's come to light that we're going to live forever, not just quantity, but quality of life when we pass from this place. And so his life was full of years. So let's pick it up, Genesis 25, verse 1. Now Abraham, uh, remember Sarah had died. Uh, her death is mentioned at the end of the last chapter, and since we've been away for a couple of weeks, let's just um, re- re- recall where we were. So Isaac, look at 24, 63. He went out to meditate in the field toward evening. He lifted up his eyes. He looked. Behold, camels were coming. Rebekah lifted up her eyes. When she saw Isaac, 2464, she dismounted from the camel and she asked about him. And he, uh, the servant said, That is my master. The servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her, Rebekah, into his mother, Sarah's tent. And he took Rebekah and she became his wife. And he loved her. Thus, Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So, Sarah has died. Rebekah has come into the tent. And now we have a shift in the story. Now Abraham, the camera pans back to him, took another wife. His wife had died, and her name was Keturah. The Hebrew uh, word that connects to her name is Ketoret. And her name literally means spices, or in some translations, spicy. I'm just kidding. It doesn't mean that. (laughs) But I liked how it sounded. Yeah, I know. Abraham's trying to put a little spice back in his life, you know. Anyway, sorry. So So Abraham took this wife. Her name was Keturah. You'll find out in verse 6 that um, she is called a concubine. And so there's a little bit of debate among scholars as to what she was, or more specifically, when she was what she was. Let me put it this way. There's a scripture, and you can write this down and look at it later, 1 Chronicles 1.32, that calls Keturah Abraham's concubine. Some scholars believe that she was a concubine of Abraham's while Sarah was alive. And then some scholars say, no, I don't think so. The Hagar incident was, a, was a, an anomaly. It was a, it was a hiccup. And uh, he did this afterwards. And the plain language of the verse seems to uh, indicate that he took her afterwards. What the Bible may be saying here is that Sarah was his primary wife. We know that, just remember, he did marry Hagar. He took Hagar in as a wife to bear children. And so that sometimes happened in these ancient households. There was no medical advances, nothing you could do if a wife was barren People obviously prayed about it, but if it looked like a hopeless situation, another wife came into the situation to bear children to the husband. And so uh, Keturah, in, in all likelihood, he marries her after um, Sarah has died. Her, her name, I mentioned, can mean spices or covered with incense. And there's a rabbinic tradition, this is a, uh, from the rabbis, Not well attested, but I'll just mention it in passing, that Keturah had some connection with Hagar. We don't know for sure, but anyway, uh, there it is. So this is how Abraham would be the father of many nations. He had Ishmael through Hagar. She was Egyptian. Then he married Keturah. She may have been Egyptian or something else. I don't know for sure, but he became the father of many nations, and you're gonna see some genealogical lists that frame the life of Abraham, and we'll, we'll read through it quickly, but she bore to him, look at verse two, chapter 25, Zimron, Jokshan, Medan, and Midian, and Ishbach, and Shua, that's verse two. So the Bible is big about, especially when you're looking at people's lives, and maybe there's a conclusion of life or an explanation of a person's life, the Bible's big about telling you the family lines that sprung from that life. A lot of people are doing that today with ancestry.com right they're going back and trying to figure out their lineage and stuff well this was very big to the Jewish people and so what they did is they would chronicle a genealogy which simply means a family tree and talk about offspring that came from this line and in most cases it was only mentioning the sons that were born that carried on the name and uh, we don't have all the history of all these particular Uh, names and locations but I will tell you this that the consensus of scholarship is that these people groups and we'll see um, six sons from Keturah and 12 sons of Ishmael all traced back to Abraham not through Isaac but through other nations Ishmaelites if you will and then those who came from Keturah six sons in Abraham's old age and the consensus of scholarship is that these people moved to Arabia to the east of Canaan, Israel's here. So if you go east, you're starting to go towards Jordan, and uh, you're starting to go go towards Iran and Iraq. So it's in those areas, and Arabia is there as well, the Arabian Peninsula, north and south, from Egypt all the way up. uh, At this time, I think it would be Assyria. And so you can trace, some of these names are found in what's called cuneiform Archaeological discoveries and what that means is that they've dug up some sites and they've seen some of these names and they're pretty ancient And so they can make connections to Bible passages and say ah It seems like that people group was around for a long time and connects to these Bible stories to um, If you pick it up in verse 2 just look again I'll just highlight a name for you Midian is going to sound familiar to a lot of you because Midian was the father of the Midianites Um, The Midianites were the ones that bought Joseph from his brothers in that terrible uh, transaction as they sold him into slavery. And it was Moses who ended up um, with the priest of Midian who had seven daughters after he fled Egypt and fled the Pharaoh who wanted to kill him for killing an Egyptian. And Moses fled and he ended up in the land of Midian. And uh, his father-in-law's name is Raul, but it's also, he's also known as Jethro. He had seven daughters, apparently no sons, and uh, Moses ends up at the well, and the daughters come to get water, and they get harassed, and Moses steps in, and the daughters come home a little early, and they say, and the dad says, why are you home early? And they said, oh, well, we got harassed at the well, but there's this guy, and he, he appears to be Egyptian, and he rescued us, and the dad says, where is he? And why didn't you invite him over for dinner? What were you girls thinking? You found a man. <laughs> Go get him and invite him to dinner, please. So if you've watched uh, The Ten Commandments, Cecil B. DeMille's version of Moses' life, the daughters all dance before him, and he gets to choose. and anyway, just, uh, just in passing, note Exodus 2:16 calls Jethro the priest of Midian. Just think about it with me. Where was Moses raised? In Egypt? So he learned the ways of the Egyptians. He learned probably multiple languages. He probably knew mathematics. He probably knew astronomy. He was well-learned, and he was equipped then to write down the first five books of the Bible. However, where did Moses learn about God? Where did he learn about the God of the Bible? Well, some of you are thinking with me, and you go, you know, well, his mom nursed him for the first few years, right? Until he was weaned, she got to nurse him. So, but even if he was three, when that process was finished, how much would he have learned about God when he was three? So it's very possible that Jethro or Ra'ul becomes a main source of spiritual information to Moses and I just mentioned that in passing when you see these names verse 3 Jokshan became the father of Sheba and Dedan they're mentioned in Ezekiel 38.13 and again in the area of Arabia the sons of Dedan were Ashurim and Letushim in that place -um and the sons of Midian were Ephah, and Ephr, and Hanak, Abidah, and Elda. All these were sons of Ketura. So if you count them all in total, you'll have six there. And the groupings, um, uh, Just let me just read from one commentary. It says, it's widely agreed among Bible scholars that Sheba and Dedan refer to the people of the Arabian Peninsula, including modern-day Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Oman, and the Gulf countries of Kuwait and the United Arab Emirates. We don't have a record of the relationships within the family between Isaac and these half-brothers, but there is no mention of conflict. And remember, Isaac's the son of promise, but he's got Ishmael on one side who was older and then these six other siblings. And uh, there's no mention of conflict, so hopefully towards Abraham's end of life, things calm down. Now Abraham, look at verse 5, gave all that he had to Isaac. Isaac was not technically the firstborn. Ishmael was. Why did Isaac get everything? Because Isaac was the son of promise. He was the son that that Abraham and Sarah were supposed to wait for. Ever get ahead of God? Yeah, we've all been there before, right? And so legally, Isaac was the firstborn. And in Genesis 22, when Abraham takes him up on Mount Moriah, the gospel's being acted out. And he's got the knife above his son. And what God is showing us is what would happen to his son of promise, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years later on that same mountain. So Isaac had the preeminence. He was the legal firstborn. To the sons of his concubines, this would include Hagar and Keturah. Look at verse 6. Abraham gave gifts, lesser gifts here while he was still living and sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. And so again, uh, I've mentioned those lands to the east of Israel. And the concubines are Hagar and Keturah. And you might be wondering, well, what happened to these people groups and who are they? Well, this is where scholars say to us that the Arabs come from Abraham. Abraham. And so when you ha- when you take all of these family lines and you begin to kind of connect the dots and you look at geographically where they ended up, these are the Arabs. And there's intermarriages that happened over time and they're, they probably, you know, landed in different destinations, but they were a nomadic people. Many of them were sheep herders and they moved around and they lived in tents and this is where you get, the Arab lines. Just write down Isaiah 60 verses 1 through 7. Isaiah 60, 1 through 7 where it talks about these people coming from the east and when Israel is reborn, if you will, in the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, Isaiah 60 verses 1 through 7. Now these are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived. Verse 7, 175 years he lived and Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age. An old man satisfied with life and he was gathered to his people. So here's Abraham, he lives 175 years and he dies satisfied, full, complete, good in every sense of the word. That's why I said at the beginning of this message, I wonder how many people are checking out of the planet this way. How many people are dying, and it could be said of them, they died at a ripe old age, and they died satisfied, content. I mean, many of us, we have so much going for us now, and contentment seems to be something that we can't even grasp. It seems so hard as Americans to just be content. Have you ever just paused, maybe walk out in your backyard, and just look up, and just thank God? Thank God for what you have we all need to do that a little bit more if you have a backyard (laughs) maybe that's why you're not content I don't know (laughs) and Abraham breathed his last we're all gonna have that last breath verse 8 and he died he was an old man satisfied with life and he was gathered to his people the language here in verse 8 does not speak about the length of his life but the quality of his life psalm 90 verse 12 moses says oh lord teach us to number our days that we might present to you a heart of wisdom psalm 90 verse 12 teach me lord that i'm passing through i'm looking for a city whose architect and builder is god i'm an alien i'm a pilgrim passing through on this planet i know i'm not going to be here forever so let me make preparation to leave a solid legacy of faith, and to look upon my children and grandchildren with contentment because I've passed along to them what's most important. Did everybody hear that? Everybody hear what I just said? I'm not sure most Americans believe that's the most important thing that you can do for your family is pass along your faith. But I hope that's your priority. I mean, how many people do you think in Abraham's tent No TV, no cell phones, none of that stuff heard the stories about God. Oh, I'm sure they were told over and over again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, right? And if you keep reading Deuteronomy 6, we're told that you should tell your children the stories of faith. And so I'm sure part of Abraham's satisfaction was to look upon all this offspring, all these children and, you know, uh, grandchildren that had sprung from him and he could smile upon God's promises because at one time his wife was barren, you guys. There seemed like there was no hope for offspring and now he's got more than he can count and I'm sure his Christmas list was pretty long. Sure, birthdays were hard to track but it's pretty cool when you have to try to keep track of all that stuff because it means that God has done something very special in your life. Don't overlook that. It's a blessing. And so he was gathered to his people. Alexander Solzhenitsyn shares some thoughts about growing old. He says, God had promised Abraham a long and blessed life. He says, aging is in no sense a punishment from on high, but brings its own blessings and warmth of colors all its own. There is the warmth to be drawn from the waning of your own strength. You can no longer get through a whole day's work. But how good it is to slip into a brief oblivion of sleep. (laughs) Naps. And what a gift to wake up once more to the clarity of your second or third morning of the day. (laughs) Is it morning? Then you have coffee again. You go through the whole routine. He says you are still of this life. You, yet you are rising above the material plane, growing older serenely is not a downhill path, but it is an ascent. Hmm. You see, we're in a society that throws away old people. Ah, uh, have you ever been? Have you ever maybe uh, come to a conclusion about a person from afar? just judging a book by the cover, and then you had a conversation with that person, and it was so delightful and unexpected, and you're like, why didn't I approach that person before? You know, there's, there's wisdom to be shared with the generations that are coming up, and those of us who are older, let's not be afraid to share it, and for those of you who are younger, don't be afraid to ask us, because we do have some stuff that we can share with you. See the phrase, he was gathered to his people? Uh, You know, on on the surface, when you read your Bible, you say, well, gathered to his people means to be buried, right? I don't think so. I think to be gathered to his people means something spiritual. I don't think it's just a physical statement. To be gathered to his people is more than burial. It indicates an afterlife. Write this down. In 3629, it says Isaac was gathered to his people. In 4933 in Genesis, it says Jacob was gathered to his people. But you're going to find out that Abraham's bought a tomb, and the only person in the tomb right now is Sarah. How was he gathered to his people if only Sarah was in the tomb? Because to be gathered to your people is not just. burial, to be gathered to your people is speaking of an afterlife. The Bible says there's an afterlife. The Bible says when you breathe your last here, you keep on living. In fact, Jesus Christ said it himself. In Luke 16, he tells the story of a rich man And Lazarus, and Lazarus is the poor beggar who is at the gate of the rich man and he longs to be fed with the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table. And the dogs come and lick his sores, right? And some Bible commentators say that's a parable, But most of us believe that Jesus is giving us a glimpse into the afterlife, showing us two people that die. He names one of them Lazarus, the poor beggar, and the other man's a rich man. And he was clothed in fine purple, and he had parties every day. The poor man had nothing, but they both die. The rich man dies and is buried. The poor man dies and is buried. Bodies are dead. They're in tombs or in the ground, but both of them are very much alive. Luke 16, this is verses 19 through 31. The rich man is in Hades and has all of his senses, and the poor man is in what? Abraham's what? Bosom. Now, if you take that literal Greek word there, Abraham's bosom means Abraham's side. Here's what it means. Do you know when Jesus tells that story, he puts words into Father Abraham's mouth? Abraham is asked, can you get Lazarus to put some water on the tip of his, uh, on his finger and put it on the tip of my tongue? I'm in agony in this flame. And Father Abraham says, son, in your life you had your good things and he, not so good. Now you're in agony in this flame and he's being comforted. And Besides, there's a great chasm fixed between you and us and we can't cross over to you and you can't cross over to us. Who's talking? Abraham! 2,000 years after he lived and died, he was very much alive. And Jesus says there's going to be a day when even the Gentiles get into the kingdom before you. He's talking to the religious leaders and the Pharisees, and they will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God, but you won't be there. Wow. God is the God of the living, not the dead. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of... Isaac, he's the God of Jacob. Do you know that every believer that you know that has ever passed, Bible character, person that you've known, personally loved one who's died in Christ is more alive now than they've ever been before? They know Christ better than they ever did on this side. Death is a departure. The question is, do you know where you're going? And have you lived for the things that you say you believe. Do you know a lot of people, they give lip service to what they say they believe, but people are checking out of the planet, and the question is, who are your people? I don't know if it's out of style to say, who are your peeps, man? (laughs) Do people talk like that anymore? I'll have my people call your people. The people will get together, and we'll figure out what's going on. Let me ask you, if it were to be said of you later tonight, he was, she was gathered to his or her people, who would your people be? The people of God? If you're a Christian tonight, when you're gathered to your people, guess where you're going? You're going where the people of God are. Where's that? I don't know the address exactly, (laughs) but I know some things about the place called paradise it's a place where God is it's beauty and grandeur beyond what we know pleasures at his right hand forevermore perhaps another dimension but it's where God is and so it is not merely saying that he was buried as many liberal scholars maintain it's a testimony of faith Abraham's epithet ends with a soaring note, says one writer. He was gathered to his people, not to his tomb, not to Sarah's bones, but to his people. The living fellowship of the redeemed. He was gathered to his people, just as the beggar in Christ's story was carried to Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. That's Luke 16, 22. This is the place of the Lord's people. It's intimate association. It's, you're gonna see Abraham Do you think people will have name tags on? I don't know. (laughs) Everybody turn to John chapter 5 for a second. Everybody remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Jesus is transfigured. His garments become white, John chapter 5. His his face is emitting light. Peter describes it in 2 Peter 1 and says, we saw and we heard the voice and we saw what happened on that, that place where the majesty of God was shown and on that mountain two men appeared talking to Jesus it's in several of the gospels and the two men were Moses and Elijah Moses died the Bible tells us and God buried him we know he died Elijah was taken up into heaven and yet they're talking to Jesus very much alive and Peter responds Lord it's good for us to be here should I build three tabernacles one for you One for Moses and one for Elijah. I have several questions when it comes to this scene. One, how did Peter know who it was? Did they have the mixer name tags on? That's what I want to know. Hello, my name. And how big was it? They were probably far away. (laughs) See, what I think this is, is this is a foretaste of eternity. When 1 Corinthians 13 says, we will know then even as we are known. Now we see through a mirror dimly, then how will we see? face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will be known even, I will know even as I am known. And so um, I believe what we're seeing is a foretaste of eternity there as well. John chapter five, here's what Jesus says, 24. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, John five twenty four. but has passed out of death Into life. Truly I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear shall live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself, and gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tomb shall hear his voice, and shall come forth those who did the good deeds to the resurrection of life those who committed the evil deeds is added by the translators to the resurrection of judgment and so there's going to be a day if you turn back to Genesis we'll wind down the message there's going to be a day when the Son of God will call forth bodies from the tomb right now when you die you go to be with the Lord in spirit awaiting the resurrection Abraham's awaiting the resurrection Isaac is, Jacob is, Sarah is everyone who's died in faith either side of the cross is waiting for this day to come body and soul will be reunited at that point a new body that will never die again Genesis 25 verse 9 then his sons uh, Isaac and Ishmael buried him so Abraham breathed his last Genesis 25 9 and Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Mechpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, facing Mamre. This is uh, the place that, in chapter 23, Abraham had purchased it for Sarah's burial site, and now Ishmael and Isaac come together to bury their father. To our knowledge, they may not have seen each other from the time that Ishmael left, send out the bondwoman, right? Listen to your wife. So she goes out, and she sent away And it may be that they haven't seen each other, and I'm sure there was tension. Remember the last scene we saw between these two was Ishmael making fun of little laughter, little Isaac, and made Sarah unhappy. And so out they went, and they come back together now. uh, You could say the brothers have been um, restored, if you will, around the death of their father. Have you noticed that nothing will bring families back together like the death of a loved one? Uh, you know, I've been in many situations where I've met with a family, and they've asked me to do a memorial service, and they say, oh, Pastor Michael, just so you know, Aunt so-and-so's mad at Uncle so-and-so, and and cousin so-and-so hasn't talked to cousin so-and-so in 20 years, and that person over there is pretty violent, and that person over there is opposed to Christianity, and If they get up and talk, there might be problems, and you're like, what in the world? My fee just went up. (laughs) That's usually when I call Pastor John I say, Pastor John Nipper, I'm delegating something to you. No. No, it's sad to me, and then I find out sometimes that these things that the members of the family are fighting or they were in fights over money that was in the family over past deaths, and so-and-so's not talking to so-and-so. And we don't know if Aunt so-and-so's coming, but if she comes, whoo, look out. And I'm like, they didn't tell me when I became a pastor that this was part of the stuff. But here you go. But oftentimes, people tend to bury the hatchet. And, and here's Isaac and Ishmael. Notice um, Isaac is... Uh, named first in verse 9 even though he's younger because he has preeminence. Maybe they both officiated at uh, dad's memorial. Dad had made arrangements, which is interesting. He had bought the tomb or the the cave and so they buried their father. What do you think that conversation was like? What do you think it was like at the post-memorial time when you shared some food? What do you think they talked about? How long had it been since Ishmael had seen his father? You know, there's a lot of things in life that, you know, you, you get to places like this and there's no, there's no time to talk about surface stuff anymore, folks. Life is way too short for that. And it came about, verse 11, after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac. And the blessing of Isaac will take the next 10 chapters Isaac lived in Beer Lahoy Roy. That's where he was meditating when he first saw his bride and interestingly enough Beer Lahoy Roy means the well of the one who lives and sees me. And this is where Hagar had the angel of the Lord appear to her and assure her and give her promises. And this and she named the place You are the God who sees me she felt outcast felt like nobody cared about her running out of food and water and that's the place where now it becomes an important location for Isaac now these are the records of the generations of Ishmael we have bookends of genealogies as I mentioned between Abraham's death Abraham's son whom Hagar the Egyptian Sarah's made bore to him or bore to Abraham we're only going up to verse 18 so keep reading with me these are the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names in order of their birth Nebioth, the first of Ishmael, Kadar, Abdiel and Misbam, Mishma and Duma. Duma is uh, mentioned in connection with the Edomites in Isaiah 21, 11. And Masa, Hadad, and Tema. Tema may be identified in modern Arabia. Jator might be connected with Artaria in Luke 3, 1. Naphish and Kadema. These are the sons of Ishmael and These are their names by their villages and by their camps. How many? 12 princes according to their tribes. God fulfilled his promise to Abraham to bless Ishmael. He told Abraham that Ishmael would be over 12 tribes in Genesis 17 verse 20. And that's exactly what took place. God is always true to his promises. Always. 12, an important number for any of you? he he, ishmael gets 12 tribes all seem to be this this nomadic arabian peoples and it is until later that 12 tribes come from who jacob and jacob is renamed israel and that's where the nation comes from but before that ever happened there were 12 princes that were under ishmael and they spread out and these are the years of the life of ishmael 137 years and he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people final verse and they the people I think here settled from Havilah to Shur which is east of Egypt as one goes toward Assyria and he settled and I think this is the tribe settled in defiance of all his relatives Havilah means sandy and probably refers to sandy desert in northern Arabia Shur is a large area Uh, including the Arabian Peninsula and the desert land between Canaan and Mesopotamia. And the last word for our message tonight is, Ishmael was what? Gathered to his people. Many people, they look at Ishmael and they say, was Ishmael a believer? Did he ever believe he was raised in the household of Abraham, but as a young teenager, then he was gone. Did he believe in the God of Israel? Well, if gathered to his people can be accurately stated that it is uh, speaking of eternal life, then where did Ishmael end up? Gathered to his people. And I would surmise by that that he believed in God. You see, you don't have to be perfect to believe in God. You just need to know that you have a need for God. The last word on Ishmael is the length of his days and gathered to his people may reveal him as a believer. If If he placed his faith in the God of Abraham, he too would share that spiritual inheritance What a joy that must have been for Abraham, and what a reunion. Perhaps Ishmael only made it back for the funeral, and some people, sadly, only make it back for the funeral. But it would appear that Ishmael went to be with his dad in the end. I wonder what a great reunion day that was like. Because if Ishmael only made it back for the funeral, but was gathered to his people, and if that place is called Abraham's bosom, then where Ishmael ended up is back with his Father. And a great reunion day is coming. And all that has been wrong will be made right again. And it's all based upon a promise, which has really been the center of all that we've gone through in the life of Abraham. God is true to his promises if you will trust him. If you will have faith, he will see you all the way home and do abundantly beyond what you could ask or imagine father thank you for tonight we worship you we thank you for the bible it's alive and so relevant to our lives it hits home in so many different ways and tonight we just want to yield ourselves afresh to you you're the god who um, you guided abraham all the way home to a place that you'd prepared for him not made with human hands an eternal home and thank you lord that that place has been prepared for us as well If you're here tonight, just keep your head and heart bowed for a second. And I just want to ask you, have you met the God of the Bible who sent his son to die on the cross and rise for you? Tonight can be your night to start afresh, to be a new creation in Christ, to have your sin forgiven and start on a new path of faith. The first step of faith can be today. If you need to rededicate your life, the prayer is pretty much the same. I would encourage you to pray it right now and pray it after me. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. I've tried to do it the world's way and not your way. But I want to follow you. Be my shepherd and be my Lord. Thank you that you died for my sins and took my place. Thank you that you rose to defeat death itself. I trust in you. Let me hear your voice and follow you. Let me glorify you and honor you with the way I live. Let my life be a life that could be described as full and not empty. One that glorifies you into the end and one that ultimately sees you face to face. Lord, thank you for your precious people. I just pray you'd bless them and fill them and strengthen them tonight, encourage their faith, shower them with blessings from above and fill them with your Holy Spirit. And for those who have opened their hearts, Lord, may you meet them here and lift their burdens and strengthen them in every way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand?